Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. We are David and Tracy Sellers, and we have made Vows to Keep. Tracy, we've had so many good questions asked to us. If you've been listening the last few weeks, you know we've tackled some pretty tough subjects. What do we do about spiritual leadership in our home? How do I start praying with my spouse if we've never really done that before? And what do I do if my spouse is deep in sin? David, I think today's topic is going to be just as relevant here on part three of our question and answer series. We love getting questions from our listeners. And if you ever are in a position where you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I'm not sure what to do with this in my marriage. Boy, we would love to hear from you. Reach out on our website, vowstokeep.com, and click the link to be able to ask a question to us. And that's how this question comes to us today. We've actually had several. Sometimes I feel like I just want to run away. I feel like my husband keeps me around for kiddo care, for meals, for sex, and I just can't do it anymore. Maybe you haven't thought of it in that context, but someone else said, my spouse is really more interested in their cell phone, sports, college degree, even our kids or their career. They're more interested in those things than me. And that makes me feel alone and neglected and sometimes even abandoned. One wife said, I suppose I should be happy. My husband works hard at his job. He works late nights after all. He provides well. And maybe it's not even just in secular jobs. We've spoke with people that are doing God's work. But the common theme here is, I don't feel like my spouse loves me. I don't feel like I can compete with something else in their life. And in fact, I feel lonely. One husband said, hey, all of her time is focused on this new college career. And then juggling this job, I never see her. She's home long enough to make difficulties in our marriage, but not long enough to be one with me. We often hear from people who are disappointed in their marriages, and we consider it an honor to be in your life. We hear from wives whose hearts are empty and sad, and David hears from men who feel like they can never do enough to make their wives happy, even if they give in to their wife's every demand. In our culture, the natural progression goes from loneliness to neglect to questions about abuse so very fast. And it's this point that we really want to work backwards through the question we're wrestling with today, starting from the most extreme and working our way to the most common. When I feel like my spouse is more interested in their cell phone or their sports team, their college degree, maybe our kids, their career than me, when I feel alone, when I feel neglected, when I feel abandoned, maybe even I'm questioning, am I being abused? I'm going to shoot straight for the heart on this. God made our heart a very delicate thing. He designed us to be whole in marriage by having unity with him first as our God and then with your spouse. And you can't fake this. But then again, you know what? This is something which does have a progression. If we neglect to feed our marriage, to care for our relationship, we can almost see it wither into nothingness. We've used this analogy before here, but marriage has a currency in some ways. God hasn't designed it this way. He made marriage a place of freedom to love like he does. But we often twist it. We give to get. We make withdrawals from a marriage without making enough deposits. And we soon become maritally bankrupt. 
sometimes in our dissatisfaction emotionally, we, we lash back. We bruise our spouse's ego. We condemn them. We beat each other up with these really nasty attitudes. And it's at these times that we see the painful reality. I've been hurt. I've pulled back. And now we as a couple have morphed into something ugly, even destructive. And if we've been honest with ourselves, we usually find that, yeah, we feel the problem started with them, but we've made the destructiveness a two-way street. In God's design for marriage, a woman would get many of her needs for intimacy and protection and spiritual growth and love met by her husband. In God's design for marriage, a man would get many of his needs for respect, for physical touch, intimacy, and love met by his bride. But when a wife feels neglected by her husband, or when a husband feels neglected by his wife, anything else good in life can feel rather meaningless. And it's especially for you that we look into the Bible today. Here are some of the principles from Scripture that I think you've got to make sure you absorb. If you feel unloved or even unsure about the state of your marriage, the first point is God loves you. And not in some faceless, pie-in-the-sky, generic sort of way. He loves you with a fierce, protective, jealous, unselfish, kind, tender-hearted love. The kind that many wives hope to get from their husbands. Let me read Isaiah 54. This is verse 5 and 6. It says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected. If you are feeling unloved in your marriage, we also want you to know this that you are responsible to care for the condition of your heart. We say that because it's easy to fall into the trap of letting your heart grow cold and harsh, waiting for someone else, namely your spouse, to make you feel loved, to fill your empty soul. Proverbs 4.23 responds to us in that place today. It says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. There are things that you can and should do to keep your soul filled up to keep it as that wellspring. Because notice this verse isn't talking to spouses. It's not saying they have a responsibility. It's saying we do. And I can hear the husband saying right now, well, God can't physically please me like my wife can. And I can hear the wife saying, God's love doesn't feel the same as when my husband was passionately in love with me. We know that. But these are both good examples of where the guarding of our hearts actually becomes real. You can choose to accept God's love and be happy or reject God's love as insufficient and therefore be bitter. So feeling unloved is not a reason to leave your husband or your wife. Let me, let me say that again. Being unhappy in your marriage, it might be painful, but it's not a reason for divorce in Jesus' eyes. Remember that verse from Mark 10. It says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And I have to say, in most cases, the man doing the separating that Mark is referring to is actually within our marriages. It's not an external force. In my experience, this is because God's transforming grace maybe hasn't transformed your marriage yet. This is one of the things I love about being involved in building biblically healthy marriages because I've seen broken, hurting marriages turn into walking testimonies of God's love for his people. If you're someone who's playing second fiddle to a cell phone or you're playing second fiddle to a sports team or a career or a hobby or even your kids, you know what? I agree. It's no way to live, but feeling alone in your marriage is not grounds for biblical divorce because the Bible does present a very high standard. But I'm here to tell you, 
Satan has tools for you to use, and he offers them up all of the time. God designed marriage to be a fulfilling relationship, full of intimacy, full of love. But in our sinful, twisted world, that doesn't always happen. One woman asked me, Tracy, do you really believe it's possible to be married and in love for 50 years or more? What her question was really saying is that in her eyes, a marriage fulfilling God's design is so rare, she's not sure that it actually really does exist. What her question was really saying is, how bad is bad enough? Because I'm wanting out. She went on to describe a marriage that was in trouble, and she was questioning, is my marriage actually in a state of abuse, and can that be my excuse? The fact is, however, more marriages end because of loneliness and neglect rather than actual abusive trauma. The troubled spouses I talk to tend to fall into one of three categories. There are those that are unhappily married and have consciously or sometimes unconsciously picked up Satan's tools to maximize their spouse's bad behavior, almost hoping that it's going to qualify as abuse so that they can feel less guilty about leaving. There's a second category. And those are the spouses that are unhappily married and they've consciously picked up the tools Jesus Christ used to maximize impact for godliness in their spouse's life. If you're in a marriage like this, you've certainly suffered wounds from your spouse. Your misery too is real, but your hope, however, is growing because it's not hope in your spouse. It's hope in your provider's impact on your spouse. God is in control. And then there is a third category, those that are struggling in a destructive, abusive marriage. They feel powerless to leave because of physical threats, extreme control, or just toxic manipulations to create submission. I'm grateful to say this third category is very, very small. Last year, we had a couple who came to us for counseling, and one of the things that they were dealing with was a wife who, in her anger, was throwing silverware at her husband right there in the middle of their kitchen. And this had happened on multiple occasions. So after healing through months of of walking beside them as a couple, we could all eventually laugh about what could have been called abuse because she never threw knives. Mostly spoons, right? (laughs) And by that point, of course, that it all stopped. We know that every single marriage struggles because you're a sinner married to a sinner and so are we. And that's always going to cause pain. Marriage is not about happiness. That's the lesson we all need to hang on to. It's about learning holiness to love our spouse well. So there's some things that we tend to focus on when we see our spouse is focusing on something else besides us. So I want to give some realities in marriage that hurt, that need immediate work, but are not grounds for taking on the victim role and then retreating. So the first is not getting your needs met. Tracy, there's not been a marriage on earth where a spouse has gotten every need met. That's for sure. (laughs) Just kidding. But it's true, God never intended marriage to meet all of our needs. No human being can withstand that level of pressure or expectation. We need to learn to appreciate what needs our spouse does fulfill and find healthy ways to seek fulfillment, most of all, from our relationship with God himself. Number two, we can tend to focus on an absence of intimacy. So true. Intimacy is a primary element of a healthy marriage. I mean, it's 100% God's design. But a lack of physical intimacy does not equal abuse. Withholding sex, yep, it's wrong. Or a demand for sex. All of these are very hard situations in a marriage. Pursuing intimacy with your husband or your wife is super important. But when there's a gap, 
It does not spell the end of your marriage. Physical intimacy is really the fruit within a healthy marriage. So the heart of your spouse is the goal. It's not what's in their pants. I think another thing we can tend to focus on is either lack of communication or really ungodly communication. God honoring communication is very necessary for a healthy relationship. You know that. Not talking, living in your own world, not sharing, not responding, or maybe even responding with strong ungodly words. These realities can be super painful, but they do not by themselves equal abuse. Too many people treat their marriage like putting a fresh coat of paint on a burning building is going to help. Foundation level things are broken. So focusing on fixing the surface stuff only adds unnecessary pressure in a time where that's not helpful. Communication is a skill that can be learned, but capturing the heart of your spouse with God's truth is the real need. And that's got to be your goal. It's less about how we talk. It's more about why and what we are talking about This leads us to our next point. Many of us within marriage have got unmet expectations around finances, children, intimacy, health, household responsibilities, our careers, and so much more. There's almost certain to be something that is dashed in your marriage. Having unmet expectations, they're a part of every marriage and working to find creative ways to be able to deal with that in a positive and healthy way is key. So ending out the list of things that we see folks tend to really focus on when we see our spouses focus somewhere else is on fights and conflict. We've actually dedicated a whole show about fighting fair. It's the couples who learn to handle conflict well, they actually find that their intimacy can actually increase. And when we're feeling neglected by our spouse, well, that's exactly where we go. My point is that fights and conflicts are not as fatal as they might feel. We've got to make sure we get back to unity. And we teach couples all the time the power of using God's word in conflict situations like this. So every marriage causes wounds that need healing. Your marriage, whether it's happy or unhappy, is likely going to have to address the things we just talked about. You're going to have to address communication, intimacy, expectations, and conflict. But they are all just symptoms. They are not causes. Not every marriage is abusive like the world would say it is. Remember, Satan loves the panic that comes from realizing a fresh coat of paint on a house of fire isn't working. So we spent a lot of time debunking the victim mentality, which we tend to believe the lies about. And thus, we believe Satan's hopeless lies as well. So now let's talk about those tools that Satan uses to afflict our marriages. One of those tools, David, I think is judging our spouse. But Matthew chapter 7 reminds us not to judge others, for we will be treated as we treat others. The standard we use in judging is actually the standard by which we will be judged. Verse 4 says, How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, verse 5 says, First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This is such an appropriate verse to talk about because so many of us are convinced that this issue of being second fiddle to someone else or to something else in your in your marriage is a one-way street. And I'm here to say it's most likely a dance that you've actually been doing to your spouse for longer than you've noticed. We don't have time to dig at every tool that Satan uses, but there's one that I feel we just can't skip over. Studies show that Americans check their cell phones every six and a half minutes during waking hours. That's like 150 times a day. Sadly, the cell phone is a jealous 
lover in our marriages today, demanding tension all day long from texts and calls, news feeds, sports scores, streaming video, Facebook, music. I mean, we are hooked on our cell phones. We sleep with our cell phones at our beds. We constantly check them as we walk. I mean, we feel naked leaving home without them. They become our constant companions, so to speak. So it's no wonder that many of our spouses feel like the cell phone has got more of our attention than they do. And people are constantly asking us about this. And I don't want to sound like 1892 on you. Not all this technology is bad. Cell phones can and do help couples stay connected throughout the day. I mean, we send each other romantic text often. For some couples, frequent texting and those quick phone calls, they make them feel more secure in their relationship. They, they make them feel happier. But for all the benefits, cell phones have become, I think, one of Satan's favorite places to generate an increasing source of frustration and conflict in marriage. The cell phone has become a third wheel in many marriages, replacing time, I think, with God first and causing husbands and wives to feel like they're competing with their spouse's phone for time and attention. After a busy day, a lot of us really desperately crave that meaningful conversation with our best friend, our spouse. We want to reconnect. We found in our marriage, unless we pay attention, the habit of deep God-honoring conversation, it just falls by the wayside over time. We go from long, intimate walks down our road, focused on getting to know each other more, to these short interactions focused on just the administrative part of our lives, talking about those to-do lists and the budgets. Meaningful communication is just being replaced by the daily demands. Can you relate to this? According to one source I found online, most couples spend an average of four minutes per day in meaningful conversation. And that's been us at times. It's hard. How does this relate to Matthew 7? Let's say, for example, one day I'm feeling a little frisky, Tracy, and maybe you're not there. And this repeats a few times. And guess what I do? Well, I retreat to distractions for myself. And after 17 years of marriage and remembering life before cell phones, I can honestly say the best time for the most meaningful conversation is the time we spend together just before we go to sleep. But you know what? In my state, I don't run for that. I run from it to my cell phone. I make a choice that sets both of us up for a future failure. See, Tracy, you see my interest in my device. And of course, suddenly you're feeling neglected yourself. Meanwhile, I'm sulking and how neglected I feel. Instead of using this precious time to reconnect, we're on our devices. I'm looking at car stuff. Maybe I'm reading an ebook or we're just watching Netflix or responding to texts. David, you and I both know when that happens. We shift our attention from each other and we unintentionally send messages about what we value most. And I think that's exactly how Satan loves our cell phones to be used. The oneness is diverted. We can literally be laying next to each other in the very same bed, but feel worlds apart. This is when couples should be talking about the highs and the lows of their day. They should be talking about the deep topics. They should be snuggling. They should be kissing. They should be making love. They should be praying together. But instead, we're two people who feel neglected. We're two people who feel like something or someone else has wreaked havoc in this moment. Mealtime is another time that devices steal from. Eating promotes this face-to-face -face conversation and eye-to-eye -eye contact, or at least it did before these infernal devices joined our lives. In our household, meals provide an opportunity for spiritual discussion about those trials that happen throughout the day. And often, it's where we have our devotional time together. But you've seen it, haven't you? Those cell phones at the restaurant table create broken connections for couples. 
Constant distraction prevents conversational depth, keeping us at the surface level of interaction at best, and that kills deep, intimate communication. A few weeks ago, an elderly man came up to us, Tracy, at a restaurant and thanked us completely out of the blue for not checking our cell phones a single time while we were out together at this meal. And to be honest, that's rare for even us that a meal together is that well protected. For us, another sacred time is car time. The time that we spend driving together is sacred side-by-side conversation. I've even planned romantic weekends where car time was actually designed into the trip. It's about that journey together. So we get to sing together, we get to listen to each other's hearts. But listen, if I'm constantly interacting with my phone, that robs my relationship of all of that prime time communication. It's so easy to point our finger at our spouse, especially when it comes to issues of neglect. It's hard though to face the reality that we too might have allowed something to take my attention. And that little slide on my part sometimes helps my spouse to feel justified to take a small little slide on their part too. Well, this cycle repeats itself for weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years. And the distance between us and the neglect that we feel, it's overwhelming. The real problem is that God has got it worse in your relationship with him. When you pull out your phone to check the football scores while you're on a date with your spouse, or you read a text while you're at the dinner table, or you're looking at Facebook, your spouse will feel like he or she is competing against a phone for your attention, and they're losing. Guess what? God's got it worse. And tender or not, the message is conveyed, you are less important than what is on this device. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all of your produce. That first fruits refers to the best that you could produce. So one way to honor your Lord is to give Him your full attention. Instead of checking your phone as soon as you get in the car or as soon as you lie down in bed together, give Him your full attention. If your marriage is unhappy but not abusive, get to work. It's true that you can't change your spouse, but God can change you first if that's your prayer, and then eventually your spouse too. Like what you heard today on Vows to Keep Radio? Listen to more life-changing broadcasts at VowsToKeep.com. Whatever you're personally dealing with, it starts by inviting God's intervention in your heart. So many of us ask for healing on our spouse's enamoration with social media before we pray about learning to be transformed, to love them well, love them like Jesus did. Focus your energy on loving your spouse rather than worrying about being loved. That's a big one. The love God has for you is a giving, unselfish love, and that's the kind of love Jesus asks you to display, whether or not you are being loved in return. Jesus says in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And it takes experiencing God's love to be able to do that. God wants to be the one to love you enough to satisfy you. We know there's a God-shaped hole inside of our hearts and only He can fill it. In Isaiah 55 too, He says, Why do you spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? He invites you today to be completely satisfied in Him. The desires that He has planted in your heart are best directed first and most to Him. God understands what it's like to rarely, and even if ever, feel like 
your love is actually being returned in kind, but he also can be the source of love to fill that empty place in your heart, to transform your marriage. It's a tough place to be, but to be straight up only by the grace of God, can we do it with joy? Can we do it with love and with all of the fruits of the Spirit? Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.